Hey there, guys. I'm Bobby. This is Steffi Steph. Together, we are Between Two Teeth. Steffi Steph, what are we talking about today? You're going to hate this. Oh my gosh, she moved the microphone. Yes, I'm going to hate that. <laughs> that might cause anxiety, which in consequence is what we are about. talking about yeah. today. What do we get right into it? What do we There is a here? article this in the weekend edition of the Wall Street Journal talking about a new screening disorder uh, or a disorder screening tool. Uh, and it's called the Screening for Anxiety Disorder. So this is an article by Dr. Ross Marin. He's a professor at the Harvard Medical School. And uh, Bobby, you want to kind of talk about how this general anxiety disorder screening tool kind of got off the ground? You know, it's really interesting, I'm, and I'm glad we're looking at this. You know, you and I are both involved with the American Dental Association and their sort of wellness, well-being initiative. And anxiety is something that all of us face pretty much all the time. And there's some some healthy sort of things that come along with anxiety that can save your life. This author, you know, Harvard Medical School professor, he is a psychiatrist, and his main concern was overdiagnosing a normal condition. Certainly, there's people that their anxiety becomes a disorder, but being anxious is a normal part of life. And all of this. So let's yeah, kind of let's kind of break some of that down. That's a lot to unpack. That's a lot to unpack. Well, that's what we do with Between Two Teeth. We unpack. So, so one of the things that struck me in this article were um, classic examples where we have had overdiagnosis of, or uh, more diagnoses of uh, some common ailments, especially in kiddos. One of that being ADHD and then also being pain. Yeah. So the problem with overdiagnoses, it, it's not because we are kind of promoting mind-body medicine and we're promoting stretching and healthy diet and exercise. The problem in America is that we give medication with a diagnosis. That's that's a really good point. And, and you and I have had the opportunity to both um, partake in integrative medicine fellowships and yeah, dealing with a lot of sort of mind-body interaction and appropriate diagnosis and appropriate treatments. And I think the concern here and the concern that we're sharing is you don't want to just reach to a drug solution right away. Right. So like with ADHD, uh, any kiddo over the age of six uh, with these very sensitive screening tools would be given Ritalin. Ritalin's yeah. highly addictive. It's a stimulant. Imagine getting your first strong uh, double shot espresso at seven. Well, and here's the rub. In medicine, you have so little time with a patient that it's really easy to uh, reach for a prescription pad as opposed to talking about things as far as right. the, the types of food people are eating. You know, I know there's some evidence as far as food additives being a bit of a challenge there and, and but this food is all, dyes oh, for, for ADHD. Sure. Yes, and, and this is where, you know, uh, they went into the context of the situation and what the this author, Dr. Osmarin, was making the point that... Is that how you say his name? I had a hard time figuring out how to say it. Osmarin? was making the point that if uh, you decontextualize what's happening, so for instance, if my dog died and I've been crying constantly, the context is my dog died. Mm. But if you don't get a proper history, which is kind of what you're saying, and you decontextualize it, then I just cry constantly. So yeah. suddenly that looks different. And I think that's the whole point. 
there are times that it's appropriate to be anxious. Right. The good of anxiety. The good of anxiety. There, there's times that it's appropriate to be depressed. We are not supposed to be happy all the time. And, and being unhappy is a normal human emotion. Now, certainly you can take things to an extreme and that can be a challenge. You need to come up for air. You got to come up for air. And, and I guess that's part of what we try to do with between two teeth. That's Are we true. trying to give people and, air? And even as clinicians, you know, we have people in our consults saying, hey, is this going to hurt? That's right. Well, you are a periodontist and dental implant surgeon. I'm an oral maxillofacial surgeon. We see people all the time that are yeah, it, and in consult, you have these kiddos that are 17, 18, and they are high anxiety because they're wondering if it's going to hurt after and what kind of pain meds they can get. The the One of the answers to explore is, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable afterwards yeah. because you had you had your teeth taken out. And, and so when we look at it in context, it's okay and appropriate to be sad sometimes. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be a little uncomfortable sometimes. And there's a whole lot of information that you provided there to unpack. I, I would say back to the article, part of why this psychiatrist wrote the article is Health and Human Services came out with some new guidelines. They had published some guidelines on screening, screening for anxiety. Their recommendation was that primary care physicians should do a two-question sort of screening tool. And this, the author of the article said, hey man, you're going you're gonna to cause too much treatment. You're going to cause too many people to be looked at under the guise of, is this an anxiety disorder versus just regular anxiety? And, and to your point, as you talked about earlier, you know, that's happened before with opioids and pain medication. And the author said, you know, benzodiazepines is a class of drug, Valium, uh, Ativan. Those are common benzos that are used for anxiety. But do we don't really want to go to that part. So, you know, as we kind of talk about, I think we've, I think, I think we've made our, our point here of we don't have to, Overdiagnosing something is not necessarily the correct way to go about. No, it's terrible. Overdiagnosing is terrible. Other than if you're going to have a hair trigger for anxiety diagnosis, uh, one of the, the points this author was making was that he was actually feeling anxiety as he thought about um, <laughs> overdiagnosing anxiety. He's like, am I just being anxious? And, about and the point with that was that if you think about something constantly, you are much more likely to have a disorder from it than if you can have a balanced thought rubble. <laughs> so what what makes you anxious? I get anxious over a lot of things. Um, what makes you anxious? <laughs> that's called deflecting. You know, so I'm going to talk about something. It's not the way you... It, I don't want to talk about how you deal with anxiety. Yet. No. I want to so, talk about what makes you anxious. That was the question. So I had a point in my professional career that... I was anxious sedating patients, and I had been involved on a sedation safety panel and looking at some challenges from a sedation safety standpoint, and so I had seen all kinds of data, and it made me anxious, and I would be anxious driving into work each day. For me, I think I get anxious about if I am doing enough, if I am growing and challenging myself enough, and I think that's a very common, um, commonly shared kind of anxiety producing 
emotion or kind of etiology, especially when you have, uh, I mean, you know, especially when you have someone who's gone through higher education and they're, they've got that incessant need to just kind of produce and create things or just kind of, uh, be valuable to society. What else makes me anxious? I get anxious. You know, we have a pretty big thing coming up in a couple months. I'm trying to get healthy. I'm anxious that, uh, I'm not going to fit into a wardrobe item that I need to to be on stage. That is that is absolutely uh, anxiety producing. I remember I remember just kind of being. This is kind of like. Did you ever get anxious about races? All the time. Because you were, you know, I hate to. The nice brag thing though about racing, you, so racing, you were a big time. So running, Texas absolute champion running, running person. absolutely uh, induced anxiety within me. However, the crazy thing was once I started the race, it was the antidote because running, I uh, decreased that anxiety. You keep pointing to something with your pen. Well, I just have a pen in my hand. I like pens. Uh, well, and so it, that's the, but, but that's the s- thing though. As so you you'd be- say that, as you say that, I look at it and say, that probably actually helped out. If, if you're an athlete, you're showing up for a race. If you're just chill and you're just like, hmm. All it right, was it was race. a crazy mental cycle because you'd get so nervous before races because if, if from my experience I wanted to I wanted to win some of the races I was supposed to win and that was a lot for a 14 15 year old. Yeah. In talking about anxiety and what it does physiologically, this she's, guy never she's ran a day in his life. No, no. Listen, I we're going to brush past your, your biggest childhood trauma. Listen, I'm starting to do a little touch of running. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Try about to get that. Yeah, totally get it. You That'll were nervous be before a race. Totally. I need to get a track athlete on here totally so we can really different this. podcast on that. Steph's got this running there's plan no, for me. There's that's no like way for that like Bob's going to relate to that comment. High school student or something. But I want to read. We actually get the newspaper here. I'm ready to hear about your childhood love, trauma so I, I, I love, can disregard it. I love holding a newspaper in my hand. But I want to read what the author says oh, here. Oh, are we reading? Yes, I'm oh going to read. I'm going to read from it. All human emotions, whether positive or negative, serve a vital function. And anxiety is no exception. Common anxiety symptoms include a rapid heart rate, increased breathing, muscle I'm gonna tension. I'm going to cut you off right no, there. No, no, don't. Stomach no ache one likes, and feeling and, on And also, edge. this is not the Bob show. Oh. No one likes. No, I'm just reading. No so, one likes when you, when you read on a, no, on a show I've, like I've, this. I've, and I've I can't had, believe you just read for I've, that long. I've had some. And you were making a point that we've made. Are you done? What did you just read? Can I continue? What did you just so, read? Summar- summarize Summarize it, it. I'm going to summarize it. There are, f- well, the article's really a good article, so I wanted to capture everything there. Physiological things happen. You and I are surgeons, and we see people that come into us. Are you okay with your eye? Do you I hate to a, bring up running again, but I can talk to you all about how no, emotion and no. physiology are connected. Okay, yes, but that's the point of it. When you are under stress... The fight or flight response, the sympathetic discharge says, hey, man, I got to get prepared for something. Yes, it does. Heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, your muscles are functioning properly. It's a heightened sense of awareness. Actually, sometimes your muscles don't function properly. There's fight, flight, and freeze. That is true. It's kind of the... Is that muscle or is that psychological? Well, your muscles don't your muscles don't move. <laughs> yeah. So but, the so, cool thing with that is you have anxiety, and then you have uh, in the article they mentioned uh, the Ukrainian uh, Russian uh, 
war right now. And they said that even though Ukrainians who were well adapted with a lot of anxiety, uh, they were more likely to survive, survive a battle, maybe. That's what they, they talked about. They were also more likely on the backside of things, because when you do uh, have anxiety every day, they were also more likely to develop post-traumatic stress yes. disorder. Once the stressor which, goes away, that's where it can be tricky. Right, which gets into another article uh that oh, another article parallel to this. Yeah. And it might've been a podcast. Are you keeping articles from me? They talked about, no, they talked about a bunker that, uh, was getting bombed and they had, uh, three age groups in there. They had infants, they had, um, kind of teenagers and they had adults, middle-aged, uh, mm. adults. And as the bunker was bombed, you got to see how people dealt with stress in a real way. The infants just shook. They would literally just shake in their um, their That's parents' right. arms. You told me about the this. middle age, or the kiddos, like the teenagers. They would shake a little bit, but they would try to hide it because it's not socially appropriate to shake, especially if you're a, a boy. And then the adults would be stone cold. the 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 lesson here, or the interesting point here, is that anxiety. We know we need to hide anxiety. We know we need to deal with it. Because that's just kind of what society teaches us. Numb the anxiety. Don't let it out. Don't let it show. But if that's you look, what society tells you. Yes. But if you look at nature, uh, a deer doesn't have PTSD after almost being struck by a car. A deer will actually freeze on the road right in front, almost get killed, shakes, and then goes away. And that the shaking was, is how they cope positively. That was awesome when what, you told me about that. Yeah, what you don't see is the, the deer getting... Ativan right after and seeing <laughs> a, a psychologist. That's a study between two teas you do. We gotta figure out how to get Ativan and, into the deer. And if you if you monitored that deer's vitals the rest of their life, you would never know that they had this super traumatic yeah. incident. They even shake if they it have off. it they literally shake even it if they off. have it at a very young point in the deer's life, it doesn't matter because it in in the animal kingdom, at least with uh with with most animals, they have a physiologic response. They don't think, they're not aware of, oh, is, what's this emotion like? So what I would say, there are times... They're comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes, and there are times that as humans, we get in our own way. So let's talk about, I agree with that. So yeah. speaking of getting in our own way, I would say one of those is human beings in an effort to help and or to make money will tend to overdiagnose um, and have uh, multiple uh, prescriptions and medications. So let's use our integrative medicine experience and talk about the ways that we deal with anxiety or cope in a uh, sustainable way. Okay. I would say the overarching principle here is to realize that some element of anxiety is appropriate and normal and not a medical issue. So that's kind of the overarching thing. As I get into from an integrative medicine standpoint, the number one thing I think, which is the low-hanging fruit, I do this myself, I talk about it with my kids, I talk about it with patients, are breathing exercises. Do you know how to breathe? Uh, I don't know how to breathe well. No, uh, I, I actually have sports-induced asthma. Thanks for bringing that up again. Oh, sorry. I, I agree with you on the breathing, breath work, if you low hanging fruit. Yes. I think one of the superpowers for Gen Z will be how to, uh, 
how do you positively adapt to the ever-increasing anxiety that this world creates? And I would say that because of wearables that are monitoring your breathing rate, your heart rate, your heart rate variability, people I, are in tune with that. So it actually creates more anxiety. Okay, it can, yes. And, and the nice thing is, is because you're somebody, I think, that sees that that data and goes, awesome, how can I fix this? But some people, I get a little anxious if so, if my my sleep eight bed, which is a bed that tracks your sleep, if I wake up with a sleep score less than 99, I'm like, oh my God. Can I pause you right there? What did I do? So I agree. You can have data overload and there's times, I know you as a runner, you have the Garmin watch. There's times I think that you take the watch off for a period of time. I've just learned to, I've learned in a really tough way to just shut down the numbers. Put, Don't worry about the numbers. Put things in perspective. Use data to help you. Don't let data sort of make you go amok. But let's get back to breathing exercises. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a breathing exercise with you. 428. Or there's 478 is another. Is it 478? Seriously. That's probably the reason they <laughs> haven't got the message out. Well, and so there's there's a very one. Is it 478? It's 478. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. I'm 100% sure. One of Seriously. many breathing Well, it is early in the techniques. morning. You've only had a little touch of coffee. But, but uh, that actually makes a good point. There are several different things. And when I'm talking to patients, I usually say, Find something that works for you. We actually hand out a something from the Integrated Medicine Fellowship to the patients that has a very specific type. I actually don't use that one myself. That was a good start. But with breathing, it is the magic's in the exhale. It, yes, the magic is in the exhale. Are you prepared to do a breathing exercise right I, now? I don't know if we should get into the the nitty gritty of breathing exercise. Other well, than to I, say, I said we're going to do one. I gotta, I gotta. I'm going to demonstrate one. I'm going to slow my exhale. This makes for great podcasting. We're going to listen to Bob breathe into the microphone. <laughs> yes, that was a slow exhale. But but there's magic that happens. It's a sympathetic. So I absolutely so agree with you. If you can, so I think a better, sorry to cut you off just for a second. Though? I think a better thing <laughs> is, never cut me off I think for, second. I think a better way to describe this is understand that your Every emotion has a physiological response to it. And breathing, you can actually change your physiology by slowing down yes. your breathing. Try it. And it doesn't have to be per you don't have to do four, seven, eight breathing. It is a technique. Yeah. But just to test out the changes that happen. Yes. When you are having a say you're having a panic attack or say you're having a lot of anxiety. Take a deep breath and see what that does for you. Yes, I would say get online, look at some types of breathing exercises, try them before you're having a panic attack, but get good at it. It's just like practicing in the gym, you get better with time. Second thing that I really found to be helpful is meditation. That's something I didn't meditate until we did the, uh, until I did the Integrative Medicine Fellowship. I thought it was hokey. It's hard for me to meditate, it's easier for me to journal. And maybe the two are the same. There is a lot of, a lot of, there's, there's a, a lot, lozenge. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of positive data on journaling, but I want to stick with meditation for a second. I never thought I would be someone that would meditate. I needed me personally. I needed an app like Headspace 
or Calm. I've used Calm a little bit, but Headspace, the guy's voice, Andy's voice, I just absolutely love. We are not sponsored by Headspace, but we would love to be sponsored by Headspace. But it works for me because it's effective. Finding something that's going to work for you, maybe it's an app, maybe it's not an app. I think if you're trying to meditate, I think the low-hanging fruit is trying an app. But it allowed me to really kind of down-regulate some of my sympathetic discharge. I like the Headspace app. I'm not someone who can sit still very well, uh, but I, I'll say that that yeah, that's part of. I've got a lot of You're energy. A You're no, a I just have a lot of energy, I'm a and fidgeter. I have to eke it out. Especially, I don't know, like especially <laughs> once out. I've had <laughs> I've had that. some coffee. Like I ha- I can't sit still, or you I choose not very, to sit still. You're very sensitive to caffeine. I'm very sensitive to And that's to actually something. I, I've had a point where I've had too much coffee or tea, and it made me physiologically anxious. Yeah, uh, agreed. And for some people, that's maybe part of it. You know, I know stimulants are kind of the big thing, these energy drinks and all that kind of jazz. There's a lot of... Uh... There's a lot of, of data to suggest that you can have physiological changes, especially the crash after a whopping amount of caffeine. Yes. You know, for me, I have to really focus on staying hydrated in the summer because, you know, caffeine is not only dehydrates you, but it also like I recognize when I have a lot of caffeine that my day, it, it's like a gradual uptick and then down. The only thing that is consistently uh, provided a, a much more balanced uh, energy level for me is exercise. Yeah. And that's really one of the main points. You know, I was listening to a great podcast with uh, Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, two people that we both follow quite a bit. And Tim Ferriss was talking about his struggle with mental health issues, including depression, including anxiety, including suicidal ideation. And he said for him, exercise was his main thing that if he had to choose between an antidepressant and exercise, he would go with exercise. You need to get more sleep. No, not at all. I'm just going to start pointing at random things while (laughs) you're trying to make points because that's what we're doing right now. Uh, Right. So exercise has been awesome for someone like me because it was part of the reason I didn't have to have a medication when I was in high school. And so what that means is, oh, ADHD <laughs> runs in my family. That's why you don't get to touch pens. Right ADHD there. runs in my family, and I, I think it's definitely overdiagnosed, probably in my family. And as a kiddo, you know, my brother could not sit still in class to save his life. And I think, and that negatively impacts your options after high school because if you can't sit still and you can't make the grades, then it really does. T- it, it just it limits your options. So, to- so can I continue my story? Okay. Thank you. So uh, for me, I just happened to luck into running at the time, and it really enabled me. You have lost pen privileges. <laughs> it really enabled me to to focus. Yeah. No, I hear you on that. And I think one of the things that steps outside of this article is there are people that have true anxiety disorders. And I think what we've talked about is breathing, meditation, exercise, quite frankly, going through a tricky time. 
So how would you define an anxiety disorder versus just having So I'm not anxiety. a psychiatrist, so I'm not even going to go there. And, and none of what we're talking uh, and about I'll, constitutes I'll take medical a, advice. Right, and this is not medical advice, but I will, I will take a jump out on this limb, is that a disorder is usually have to do with chemical changes in the brain that affect the function of day-to-day life. Yes, and that's where it gets down to affecting how you move through this world. Um, it's often the same time with, with depression. It's okay to be depressed, but clinical depression comes with a different diagnostic set of uh, data points. Right, and, and I think if there's concern, you know, you get to a an appropriate healthcare provider and they diagnose. And, and, and so this, and is, this kind of breaks into this overwhelming topic. I know you serve on the Dental Wellness Access Committee I'm not sure if DWAC is um, dental team wellness advisory. Dental team wellness advisory council, and and I'm a wellness ambassador you this are. year. And one of the big topics of discussion is where is your entry point when you are trying to help people, uh, because you have you have a big range. Uh, if you look at uh, mental mental health and well being, where is your entry point? Where, which big group do you really focus all of your pamphlets, mm. all of your your discussions on? Do you focus it on the group that has no uh, challenges at all and just teach prevention, purely prevention? Do you go a little further down the line and say, hey, you're a a college student, you're a dental student, you're drinking a lot on the weekends. That's okay though, because you're young and that's what young people do. Is that where you hit the, the addictive potential there? Or do you go a little bit more into the career where people are having divorces, uh, maybe their kids have died, maybe they have parents that have died, and they're really starting to deal with uh, some of this depression, anxiety in, in a very um, daily kind of limiting way? Or do you go to the very end of that where you start to get, uh, you know, things like thoughts of suicide, uh, kind of attempts at suicide even? Different messages for different groups. And I think as I hear you talk there, it gets down to mental health is a continuum. And you kind of gave the, the markers on one side versus the extreme, the other side. And, and people move throughout that space in different messages for, for different people along that journey. I know part of Between Two Teeth is for us to share our own journey as we move through time, to talk about things that concern us. You know, this article, why did this article pop up? to you at all what was there any meaning but because when I looked at it I looked at it and said yeah I I see anxiety right now in society you know part of the reason this article popped up to me is because of what I was I was just saying as far as where where's your entry point on the continuum and when you read an article about over diagnosing anxiety it's it's an author that's saying this entry point may not be the right one and it's kind of calling out, you know, big pharma. It's calling out healthcare providers that are overworked and they don't have the time to really have a good diagnosis. So they need a screening tool. That's a hair trigger. And and not only on the diagnostic side, but on the treatment side. Yeah. And it's also calling out and that's the, the big pharma thing. And, you know, we live in a, we have, I took a Harvard surgical leadership program and finished it up last year. It, put me in rooms with people who uh, are in different countries and they have a different experience with healthcare. It's not all capitalism. And with capitalism, 
it's about making money in the guise of healthcare, which it complicates things because there's a uh, a nuance to what what is our interest. Yeah. And uh, this is one of those things that this author is just kind of calling out saying, why are we giving the okay for um, copious amounts of benzodiazepine prescriptions? Breathing exercises are free. It's not, it's not necessarily about the cost. They are free. So you know that they're not, there's no, no one's trying to make a buck off you by telling you to breathe. And that's what I tell patients. I'm like, this is free. You can do it anywhere. You get better at it the more you practice. Yes. And the stigma with that is that it is, it is magical. It's It's, yeah. It's it's magical woo woo that doesn't work. The crazy part is. I tried it one time. It doesn't work. Right. If I had a dollar for every time a patient said that. But part of the reason exercise helps you is because it changes your breathing. It makes you breathe different. Mm. And a lot of these four, seven, eight uh, breathing techniques, I think there's something called lion's breath. All of these breathing techniques that I, I discovered during yoga sessions, I didn't know about, and through the Integrative Medicine Fellowship, it all has to do with physiologic change in your breath work. When yes. you run, you absolutely change your breathing. Well, and as I'm treating patients, I will often say, if you'd like to feel more comfortable, what we found that helps patients is just try to slow down your exhale as you breathe out. I, There's a distraction component, so it's a cognitive issue, and to your point, yes, a physiological issue. I started uh, playing around with breath work when I was 14, and it was out of necessity. I have sports-induced asthma, and so if I didn't psychologically tell myself, okay, I have got to control my breathing, I would not have enough O2 going to my muscles. So I had to literally slow yeah. down my breath work most runs. It literally gets to be a big deal. You know, the diaphragm muscle itself is connected to the, the vagus nerve and part of the parasympathetic nerve system. So physiological things certainly happen. And, and you're not going to be a peak-performing athlete if you don't sort of have control over that. Also, Maybe that's my problem. Also think about singers. They sing from their diaphragm. Totally, totally. You know, and, to project their voice. And that, in one breath, it slows down your breathing. You're also getting out this emotion. One of the books I'm reading right now on human nature talks about the natural tendency of aggression in humans. And humans have to get out this energy. They have to get out this aggression. Not everyone's hyper aggressive, but not everyone's you know a leaf either. You and I are developing communication talks for healthcare professionals, and part of it is to decrease patient anxiety and to have appropriate patient interactions. Part of it is also, quite frankly, to try to heal the provider that ties in with some of the things that we're doing with the ADA Wellness Initiative. Um, I would push our listeners just to get some tools in their toolbox if you've never done breathing exercises, get online and check it out and give it a go. And know that some things are going to work for you, some things won't. Some things, you know, it is good to have tools that you can utilize. You know, and also realize your kids are watching you. How you deal with anxiety is going to set the foundation for how they will deal with anxiety. That's a terrific point. When we treat patients and it's we see a lot of teenagers and we're giving them IV medications to help relax them, which has become more difficult in the past several years, especially post-COVID. That's part of my interest in this article. We'll go out and see the parent. And oftentimes, if the kid's been super anxious, 
the parent is on the edge of their seat, their eyes are wide open, full fight or flight, sympathetic discharge. And I'm not to belittle your kid going through a surgical procedure is a big deal. There's just a different way to communicate love and care. But there's different ways. There's different ways to deal with anxiety and stress. And we want we want people to live their best lives. That's what it comes. You know, my to. my little I agree with you. And my little rant on that is it is just that I think today. And I get it. The parents always say, hey, when we were going to the dentist back in the day, it just wasn't what it is today. And they've even said we're trying not to pass on that anxiety to our children, but it's tough. Yeah. And I, I get that it's tough. But but here's the deal. it's Life is not about feeling no pain. That is not what it's about. Yeah. Life is about experiencing the cornucopia of emotions that yeah. come along with it, including pain. And I think and, as, as parents right. and generations, can you finish? Yes, Sorry, parents yeah. and generations. I'm trying to do oh, the so you're, you're not Parents it. and generations, they, they've they tried to shield their kids from pain yep. completely. And so whenever you're going through something, especially when you know you're going in for a procedure, pain is not the end point. Pain is part of the journey, and that's okay. The end point, think about it, is getting healthier. That's what you need to focus on. And just realizing there's times in life where you're going to be anxious. You just focus on the wrong thing. There are times in life where you're going to have pain. There's times in life where you're going to be happy. Focus times on the long. Focus unhappy. on the long term. Focus on the long term uh, result versus the temporary part of the journey. Yeah, I agree. Well, guys, thank you so much. This has been another episode of Between Two Teeth. We we love having you guys listen in. And please leave comments uh, if you want to hear something that we're not talking about. If you want to know more information of some of the stuff we mentioned, please give us a shout. Thanks, guys.